Missions Emphasis Season. How many weeks are you guys doing? Two Sundays? Okay. So I remember, I remember this. I grew up in a Christian Reformed Church, uh, Allendale, Michigan. Um, I remember Missions Emphasis Week, and the missionaries would come, and they would show slides. Usually at some, it had a hut, and there was, there was some indigenous people of some tribe, maybe like, uh, remember the Tip of the Spear uh, movie that talked about um, the Littles and the, and the, or not the Littles, the, uh, what was his name? You know what I'm talking about, that story? The yes, the Elliots, that's what it is. El, um, and that was the picture I had of missionary, right? Living in a hut, long hours, months and months and months away from your home place. Sometimes, these girls are singing this song, sometimes following Jesus looks a little different in the rear view mirror than what you think it might look like. So I bring you greetings from a mission field six miles away from this church. We do not live in a hut. We don't have to hunt our own food. It's very, very different. So my wife Lisa and I and our four kids sitting over there, uh, we live in Wyoming, not that far from here. We live in the Burton, Clyde Park, Godfrey, in the Godfrey School neighborhood, and we've been there for two years. So Arnie wanted me to share a little bit about kind of where we came from and, and what we've been doing. So grew up in Allendale, like I mentioned, my younger sister, my older sister, and then our parents. I got the height, in case you didn't notice that. <laughs> ah, joke. <laughs> Grew up in West Michigan, grew up in the church, had a great experience growing up in a Christian home. As time went on, I felt called into youth ministry, so I did some urban youth ministry downtown Hudsonville. <laughs> Eight years, if you've been there, you know. Let's see there past dark. Uh, we moved to South Carolina, where I went to seminary. We did some more youth ministry there. And then we felt like God was saying, Okay, we want you to push out a little further. So we moved to Miami, Florida in 2011. And our plan at that point was to live in Miami for a year and then go overseas. Well, the, the plan wasn't the same as what we had in mind. That's where we met our daughter, Sonia, who was over there. <laughs> she, she waves. Spent time in Miami, got to know Miami as a city a little bit. Following that, we led a short-term mission group from this church. Was anybody there on that trip? Good, because I have tons of illustrations about that trip. <laughs> I was kind of hoping Rod was going to be here, but it's fine. We led a trip from this church. God, God worked us in that experience. We lived in Miami, and we got, we got used to the idea of mission work because we were doing a lot of stuff back and forth with Haiti uh, our organization worked in the DR, worked in Jamaica, worked in some other countries in the Caribbean. And what we kind of came to realize is that it's very hard to do ministry when you don't live in the context. If some of you have done short-term missions, maybe you've experienced that. There's a language barrier. There's a barrier in how I get supplies for things. How do we do? Because we don't understand the culture. We, we got kind of exposed to it. It's difficult if you don't know the context, don't speak the language. So 
Time went on, and we moved into another neighborhood. I'm, I'm condensing this. Moved into another neighborhood called Little Haiti, which is also within the city limits of Miami. And we spent the last, we spent five years total there, and then we just moved back to Wyoming two years ago. And a lot of that, especially coming in about three months, we're asking God, why are you, why are we in Michigan? What are you unfolding? And part of this sermon is God has unfolded this, which is really exciting for me. So I'm bivocational. I work out in Allendale for my, for my dad. I work out there. And then we also do ministry in our community, which focuses on exploration, which is a lot of fun. If you're, into, if you're an extrovert and you like meeting people, exploration is great because you get out, you spend time prayer walking, learning the streets, learning who's there. You make a lot of mistakes, which I could tell so many things. In Miami, we poured our hearts into that, and it took two years for God to show us our field or our, our specific ministry in Miami. So if you're, if you're frustrated about maybe ministry or prayer, just continue working, continue pushing forward. It took two years, and then after that, we moved forward with uh, the ministry that God had us doing there. Well, one of the challenges that we ran into was we lived in the neighborhood, and there was lots of churches in the neighborhood, and we were meeting a lot of people to do ministry with, but it was really hard to get the churches connected with the local community. So the churches would come along and they'd say, well, we want you to train us how to do it. And I would say, well, you already speak the language. Come on out. We'll figure it out as we go. And so there was kind of this, like, divide between the churches and the local needs. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but when we moved back to Michigan, we ran into the same thing in our neighborhood in Wyoming. So our neighborhood is like 50% Hispanic. The Hispanic first, second, third generation immigrants, it's very complicated because there's different Spanish, there's different cultures. And then you have a group of Dutch, German immigrants from generations ago that are living in the same place. And you have refugees that have been resettled by Bethany. So you have this like sort of, as one of the pastors in the neighborhood calls it, he calls it a grieving community. Because the people that have been there forever are grieving the loss of the way it used to be. And the people that are getting there are grieving the loss of their countries and their language and their context. So complicated. So one of the things that we're doing now is we're focusing on trying to help churches engage their local context. And this, is, this isn't just like creating, you know, doing like a Saturday work project. It's like how do you disciple a church, and create missionaries through that process. And it is a process. So we're coming back to a place that we know a little bit about, Western Michigan, and its complexity and, and heritage and faith and all of these things. So that's why Luke 15 has been a challenge for me as I've, as I've tried to study it. Luke 15, if you have your Bibles or however you read it, And I think that's the, that's the challenge. Isn't, isn't it the challenge for, for believers? How do you reach your local context and how do you reach the faraway places? See some of your flags? How do you reach these places and how do you reach the people across the street? That's a question, right? That's something to wrestle with. And I know in, in ministry you want to try to encourage that. You want to encourage the body to do that. 
And this, this passage from Luke 15, I think, gives us some, some ideas. So Luke chapter 15. We'll read a few verses. We'll get into it. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a, can- light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Um, We'll skip down to verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when a son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. Pray with me, please. God, we ask for a measure of your spirit so that we could see this passage for how you meant it to be heard. Speak to our hearts. Speak to my heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you get a little bit of Jesus' technique of teaching with parables. You see a setting, and then he responds with something. And that was one of the things that I sort of encouraged, was encouraged by, was like, always read the setting of what's happening. So you have, you have these three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, or the prodigal sons. But what happened? How did, this, how did it happen that he told all three of these stories? So if you look at the first two verses, what two groups of people do you see here? Do you guys do interaction? Is that a thing here? What two groups of people do you see? You look down at your... Okay, tax collectors and sinners. You see, like, one group is gathering around Jesus. And maybe you remember, like, before COVID, we used to go to concerts. They were so good. And there were some concerts you would go down to the front, and you would fight people to get closest to the stage. I can see it. There's people here that know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're just pressed in so tight, and sometimes it's so hot, you're wearing other people's sweat. But you, and you're, you're moaning and groaning, and it's gross, but nobody cares because you want to be closer to what's happening. That's one group. 
And then you have the other group, and what are they doing? They're grumbling. They don't like it. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a teenage girl. <laughs> You're, she's not a teenager. Have you ever seen this before where the, the arms go up and the... Have you seen this before? You know it. You know it. <laughs> you have two really extreme groups of people, and you have Jesus as the center. And what I love about the way Jesus teaches is he doesn't just come out, I mean, honestly, like a lot of us parents do, don't do this or do this. He doesn't say that. He leads the conversation with these three stories. He doesn't address the issue. He goes into these three stories. Verse 3, then, it says in the NIV. And that word kicks off these three stories. So if you have to tell somebody three times something, what does that usually mean? Huh? They're not listening? It's really, really important. Those are the two main ones I could think of. And the other thing was, he gives three different illustrations of the same thing. So if you have... Teachers, and you give an illustration of a teacher, teachers are going to connect. Or if you start talking about cars, you're going to connect with car people. Or if you're a roofer. I see that hand. So I think Jesus, just as a brilliant teacher as it is, it's really, really important what he's about to say. They're not getting it. And I think he wants everybody to get what he's saying. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and parable of what I say, the, the, the lost sons. Okay, so Jesus then, in verse 4, he says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So he does something that I call creates a moment of angst. He creates a situation that people would maybe be upset or emotionally stirred to hear. Like it's an inner tension, an emotional response when you realize things aren't as they should be and, and there needs to be, something has to happen. When he does this, he's giving his hearers an opportunity like to go into this, what he's, what he's teaching, and I think it's brilliant. So the problem is, verse 4, one of the sheep is lost. The plan is he goes and gets it, presents a problem, he presents the answer. And then you see that in the next, next parable of the coin also. So he creates this picture. To us, it's, seen, it's, like a, it's not even a full sentence. He, just, he goes and he gets it. But I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller last week, and he interviewed a shepherd and the shepherd was talking about, we know this, just how dumb sheep are. And sheep are so dumb that they, they hide places and they, they don't want to go with you. And so the shepherd has to go out and get them, has to pick them up and carry them. You can't call to them like a dog. It's kind of like a cat, you know. Cats. Okay, they're not smart. They're not smart animals. There's, there's work to be done. But see, that's what's in the verse. So if you're standing there and you understand 
the context, it would have been easy to say, oh, I get what it's like to be a shepherd. But for us, it might be a little bit harder. So if you think about what a shepherd, think, think about what a shepherd, picture in your mind what, maybe, maybe from Psalm 23 or maybe, maybe for some other visuals, like what do you see when you think of a shepherd? What do they have? What do they carry? Or Okay, a staff. So a staff is used to, you know, it's got that hook thing, and they, they can pull the, the sheep, or they can, they can use it as a weapon, or they can use it as a, like a walking stick or whatever. Okay, staff, anything else? Think of Psalm 23. He has a rod. Okay, a rod is a little different than a staff. A rod is used for what? Whooping. So protection. So you're going to, if you're a shepherd and you're out in the plains, you might get attacked by something. So rod and a staff, and then they're wearing this like leather, whatever. He's going to be, he's, or she, I don't know if there was, I don't know how it worked then. But so they're out sleeping under the stars. So they probably used part of their tunic as rain protection. They had to take rations with them, probably. Um, they had to be pretty good at what they did. Like, are you, guys, you guys know the precious moment, shepherds? That, so that's not really a picture of first century shepherds. I mean, they're nice, but, but that's not really the picture. The picture is this, this person loses the sheep. He's really well prepared, and he's really focused. His, he has one job. Go out, get the sheep. He goes out, and according to the verse, he says, he goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. So there's, there's, there's tremendous value there. This guy, he's a battle-hardened warrior. And you know they were young, but they had to learn tough skills. And then they had to carry the sheep. So they would have been strong by the end of that time. When I started working for my dad after high school... I used to carry quarters of beef into these stores. And I was not as rugged and swole as I am now. I was much smaller. And it was so painful. But you have to learn how to get big and strong when you have to do these things. That's what the people are probably picturing when Jesus said the shepherd goes out. Okay, so remember, this is a parable. So this is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay. So again, back to the problem of the situation. What is Jesus getting at? He's getting at there are lost people in, in this story. I believe he's speaking to both groups, the, the Pharisees and the sinners. The problem is that there's lost people. So as I say the word lost, do any images come into your mind? Helpless? Okay. Broken? Afraid. Hmm? Homeless? Lost. How about... Recalculating. Has anyone ever been lost? The men will not raise their hands because that's impossible. Have you ever been lost in your 
like vehicle or whatever. Like, you know, you, you, your GPS or your phone recalculates. It's, it's kind of simple. And, and I think of lostness, like you guys, you guys listed some pretty heavy stuff. Like, have you ever seen the, <laughs> the bumper sticker where it says, get lost, and it's got like a picture of a campfire and a trailer? I'm like, okay, that's camping. That's not it. That's not lost. I was driving to Fremont yesterday for a cross-country meet. I was driving, I went up Alpine, and I went through Bailey, and then I went through who knows where, and then I'm driving around, and I'm thinking, you know, I only got a quarter tank of gas. I've, you know, I've seen this play out in shows. Okay, Does, do you know where Bailey is? Yeah, Bailey is a suburb of Grant. <laughs> okay, and Grant is a suburb of Nuego. Okay, I don't know if you've seen this before, but when you drive through Bailey, it's like, welcome to Bailey, you're lost. You're so far away from anything, <laughs> it's just, you're just, you're lost. So I'm thinking about the, the con- like, man, if I get lost, obviously my phone wasn't a big deal. I wasn't worried at all, but I thought, you know, if I get lost out here, not a big deal. You guys mentioned some of these heavy, heavy pieces of lostness. You know, not just like a simple lostness like I was sort of illustrating. So that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying there, there's people that are, are lost. And I, so I, I did a little study on, the, on that word in particular because sometimes the English doesn't do it. And, and it, it, it comes from the same root from a word from John 3.16. You guys know this one? For God. <laughs> you got it. You're so good. Okay, so the word perish, shall not perish but have everlasting life, it comes from the same root as the word lost. So think about that. There's, there's, there's more consequences, I think, to the lostness than I first picture. Jesus uses the phrase in Luke 19 that, um, see, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. He's talking about humanity. Lostness is a heaviness. So when he's presenting this story to his listeners, he's presenting not just a recalculation, but a position of humanity that needs to be found. Okay. He presents this moment of angst for us, I believe, in this story. Now, moment of angst, maybe, maybe you guys have had something like this happen to you before. Um, it's, it's like, a, like a, maybe you hear a sermon where the pastor says something that triggers something in your mind. Or maybe you, there's a song, maybe there's a death of a friend. Um, something happens that you think, oh, short mission trips are another thing where you go on a mission trip. Have any of you been on a mission trip? Sure. Yeah? Any out of country? Yeah? Like, I love talking to people 
we've done a few trips when we were in youth ministry and then, and then with our ministry. Like, one of the things that we like to do following the trip is just say, what, what types of things impacted you? And, and there's usually a lot. So that's a moment of angst. You come back. You come, uh, Lisa, my wife, was gone for six months, and she remembers coming back, so before we were dating, and she went to Meyer and she saw all the different types of shampoo. She was in the uh, really desolate part of Australia than she was in South Africa, and like, it was such a moment of angst for her, like, why do we need 20 t- you know, types of shampoo? There was this moment of angst. Jesus is creating that. That's sort of where I've landed coming back to West Michigan. Like, God, where are you in a pretty religious part of the country? Like, we're known for certain things. We got Zondervan. We got Calvin and Hope. We got lots of churches. Baldwin Street. <laughs> Christian Reform. Reform. I mean, you know it. You know how it is. So there's tension here. There's a moment of tension for me reading this passage Growing up thinking that missions is overseas, and yet I'm in my own neighborhood now realizing that that's not the case. Because more and more in the United States, the nations are coming to us. So, do we have a responsibility? So, I'll ask you this trip, this question, because I've been asking this question. Are there lost people in western Michigan? Yes! I had prepared if people said no. It's a choose-your-own-ending sermon. (laughs) But I'm thinking, like, if the answer is no, like, we can just sort of keep doing what we're doing. But if the answer is yes, I think it's fair to ask why. why. Why in a place like West Michigan where there's so many churches and so many ministries, so many, just, why, that's, I think it's a reasonable question. So, I started to interview, one of, the, one of the things I did to study the Western Michigan, this is super fascinating, is to interview pastors and just say, what's going great and what's been a struggle? Now, remember the last two years, <laughs> COVID, uh, racial tension, politics, lots of stuff going on. The RCA, the CRC, the ARC, I mean, there's lots going on. So when you ask pastors about this, it was an easy conversation to have. So some of the answers I heard was when I said, is there outreach to do in this area? One pastor said that he thinks that we've gotten used to the idea of losing one. One person said she, ha- she, sa- she thinks yes, but she has no idea what to do. One, this was a pastor, he said that we lived in a reached community. Another person said, we're here, if they want to come, they can come. And I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like that. But it's an objective question. Because I can't really be critical, because if I look at how how I use my time... Instagram Reels. You guys familiar with this? You know how much time you can spend on Instagram Reels? Like, just cats alone. 
and I look at my own life, I want to look at how I spend my, you know that, how, you, how your screen time thing? Oh, man. <laughs> that can be convicting. So I'm asking myself, like, do I think there's lost people in western Michigan? Do I really believe it? I think of the effort it takes to go overseas as a missionary, particularly with a family. So in our organization, so we never went overseas. That was a plan. We were going to go overseas. But usually what you have to do is you have to, first you have to raise support. And that usually takes at least a year. Then you sometimes have to do language. That takes a long time. Sometimes you have to move to a place to study language. Then you can go. You have to go through all these assessments. You have to sell all your stuff. You got to build a prayer team. You got to prepare and train. You got to get commissioned. You got to have a field. And then you can go overseas. Are we taking that much commitment to our local context? In one sense, it's like, do we have the same level of commitment as these shepherds? So I'm really glad you guys gave the offering for Mel Trotter today because I've been spending a lot of time with the Mel Trotter outreach folks because one of the pieces of, of exploration in my neighborhood, I've realized there's quite a few homeless people that live along Clyde Park. And one of the reasons is Clyde Park and Burton are bus routes. So people will come up the bus route from downtown, head to Meyer, or head, uh, yeah, we'll head wherever, I guess, from there. So I started spending a lot of time with them, and I started having a lot of conversations with people that are experiencing homelessness. And it's really, really fascinating because a lot of people that I've met grew up here. They grew up in, in the area. And so having a faith conversation is super easy. I take my Bible, and I, I mean, I'm not, not like a pew Bible. But I take a Bible, and we just have these, you know, we have these conversations. And I remember this one guy, we were over, yeah, in, in the neighborhood. And he didn't want anything to do with church. Okay? And... He had a bad experience. And I'm, st I'm talking to him, I'm staring at him, and behind him is a steeple of a church. And I'm just like sort of wrestling with like, what about, the ch what about that building freaks this guy out? But on the flip side of it, like what about this guy freaks the people out in the church? Because... <laughs> Because he told me, he was very honest, and he, he, wasn't always the super, he wasn't always the nicest guy, but you got to, that's just how it goes. But like, why is there this sort of divide between the two groups? Maybe it's because we don't feel equipped, or maybe like the one guy I quoted, maybe we feel like everybody's been reached. Or maybe we don't understand the value of the lost. In this passage, the value is described. Take a look. Verse 6. Well, verse 5. He finds it, goes home. He puts them on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If you jump down to the next story, it's the same. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then in the parable last of the lost son, it's the same thing. They kill the fattened calf, they have this huge party. That's how you know how valuable the lost are to Jesus. Maybe we don't understand the value, or maybe we have forgotten that we are the lost sheep. Maybe we are now, or maybe we were in the past. You know, I think about this. Somebody in my family's history accepted Christ. I don't know when it was. My family is like from fifth generation German, fourth or fourth, I don't know, fifth or fourth, German immigrant, early 1900s. Two brothers came over, one stayed. Somewhere along there, somebody accepted Christ, and that got passed down to me, to my parents, to me, to my kids, Eric and Scott, their kids. Something happened, but it's easy to forget that we were lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And when you have that in your mind, it's easier to have a conversation with people. You know, I, I grew up in the CRC, and like, do you remember the, what the T stands for in, in the tulip? Thing. Total depravity, okay. I'll be honest, total depravity, I, I didn't get much farther than that, like, to be honest. Like, I think, I think more of myself of, as depraved, totally depraved, than the rest of them. But if you only know your depravity, that's not the full gospel. And that's why it's so important to talk to people in West Michigan who maybe used to go to church but they left the church because something happened. Usually it was something that happened not about Jesus. It was somebody said something weird to them because sometimes we say weird things to people and they left the church and they get stuck on the fact that we're all totally depraved and we don't get to the next pieces. I've run into that several times. When I start talking about when I start talking about Jesus' love, somebody says, yeah, well, this pastor said this or that and the other thing. And I'm like, well, I get that because pastors, we're not perfect, but this is what Jesus said. Like, look what he did. That's a message that people in West Michigan that grew up in the church with a very strong sense of academic faith need to be hearing. Your identity doesn't stop with the T. It goes on. Which is fantastic. All right, let's bring this to a close. I love the way Jesus is because one of the things that we, we like to use as motivation is guilt and shame. That's not, that's not a good way to do it. I mean, you might get some volunteers if you, if you guilt them into volunteering, but it's not going to last Don't do it because of guilt and shame. Do it because of what Jesus did for you. If I I guilt you and shame you and talk about how bad you are for not reaching your community, you're just going to get upset. But if we sit here and talk, I wish we could do this. I don't know if you guys do testimony times, but talk about 
something amazing that God did for you this week. Talk about something that he did, a miracle that happened, a, a, a sickness that was alleviated, a peace that transcends all understanding. We could just keep going around and around. That's the message that the world needs. We gather to worship and praise for what Jesus has done. The motivation is gratitude. So what is, so I'll just, a couple things I'll share with you in the end is, what, is, what has God showed me through the exploration of Wyoming Godfrey Lee, where we live? Who's there? Who, who are the people that are there that God is calling us to? People that are experiencing homelessness. You mentioned this earlier. They feel isolated from the church. Um, people... Oh, first-generation immigrants who don't speak, a lot of people that don't speak English, so there's a lot of fear about being here. People that are trying to go through the process legally, but, but, and they're trying to raise a family, it's, it's a complicated situation. Another thing is people that are in church that are just in church because that's what you've always done. We just go to church. We got a lot of questions. We got a lot of doubts. But we're just going to keep going to church because we don't want to rock the boat. If that's you today, I really encourage you to talk to your pastor or somebody and say, listen, I, I just, I got, we got to talk some of this stuff out because I'm not 100% convinced that Jesus loves me at all. Don't allow that to continue because Jesus wants you to have life and life to the full. And then the fourth group is churches, established churches, maybe this is you all, maybe not, established churches that want to reach their community but aren't really sure how to do it. And that's kind of what I'm praying through. I'm praying through what does that look like for us, for our family, and, and uh, yeah, what does it look like? What's, what's God going to do in the next year or two? I want you to remember three things, you guys. Number one, consider how important the lost are to Jesus. And consider how much he loves them. Number two, consider, remember that we, that you and I, were once lost. And now are found. Let us respond to Jesus' unconditional love for us. And number three, may our, church, may, may our churches respond by committing to reach the lost within our local mission field and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, not letting us just be content, but calling us for growth, for sending us the Holy Spirit, for sending us community, for convicting us when we do wrong, but drawing us back to you because you are faithful and just. Lord, I thank you for the ability to look back so we can be thankful. I pray for every member of this church, the ones that are here and the ones that are watching, that you would fill us all with an urgency to reach those in this community and much farther away. Pray that you would provide the financial resources for those who raise support. Pray for the strength in the mornings when things seem impossible. 
God, open up opportunities for faith conversations and give us boldness. We thank you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.